G'day and welcome to the potty in which I connect with some of the most influential guests from across Australia and the globe to share their very inspirational stories. I was born with cystic fibrosis, a chronic illness in which I was told would most certainly rule my life. But like many of the incredible humans that I have on this show, I'm on a mission to prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we choose to respond to them. I'm your host, the captain of the ship and the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra, and this is a lot to talk about. Denim Hitchcock, how are you, mate? I'm excellent, thank you. Very good. Mate, it's a pleasure to have you here. I've been somewhat hunting you down for the last couple of months, <laughs> which is hard to do when you're living on a catamaran in sometimes the middle of the ocean. But it's a pleasure to finally be here. Before we dive into, you know, an amazing chat, I really want to read something first up that stood out to me and had a profound impact on me and was a big part of the reason why I wanted to sit down and chat to you, because I love this. It was the part of the statement that you released when you retired from your career as a TV journalist, for this time Mm. at least. And you said, in my 28 years as a TV journalist, I've worked in seven different newsrooms, three different countries, predominantly doing stories about terrible things that happen to good people. And each of those stories left an impact. There's only one lesson from them. Time waits for no one and dreams shouldn't be left on the pillow. Mate, I just bloody love that. And I want to give a shout out to your (laughs) self-awareness for recognising that after all that time and and being able to step away. Can you talk to me about that statement and that choice? You know, what are some of the moments and, you know, particularly that lesson? When did it really hit you that you wanted to change something in your life? Well, clearly I'm a slow learner because uh, I've been doing TV (laughs) news and current affairs for... 29 years I think and um, unfortunately TV news and current affairs is is mostly that it's mostly heartache and pain and world events which are more often than not um, impact on a negative kind of scale and I suppose the realization of that came probably a little later in life when I wasn't so career focused not so single-minded got married to my wife, I had this beautiful relationship with her and then um, it's probably when we had a baby on the way and I suppose like a lot of parents your priorities shift and change a little bit and I think uh, like a lot of people you know roughly every five years your goals and your hopes and dreams kind of change somewhat and that's normal for a person to evolve and I think that's where I got to uh, just sitting down and looking at everything that I've done and the hundreds of interviews that I've spent with people that have been through all sorts of things from plane crashes to strange diseases, tornadoes, hurricanes, you name it. And everybody says the same thing, which is, I just never thought that this would happen to me. I'd seen it to other people. I just never thought this would happen to me or my family. And um, you'd be a pretty slow learner if you didn't take something from that if you had 300 or so people tell you that and you didn't take a lesson from it and I think that's where that stems from that um, the time that we have is is finite and uh, 
you live your life like you're gonna live forever, but the fact is that you're not. And over time, your bones and your joints and everything starts getting sore and starts to break down, and then you start needing glasses, and you know it's a slow degradation. So you just need to be aware of that and plan accordingly. Well, it's not to say that everyone is a slow learner, but I feel like much of society hears these messages, and I often question, mate, you know, myself, I'm, being a younger man, 27 now, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've read, I wouldn't say a lot of books, but a, a fair enough share to hear some meaningful messages. And I've sat in the crowd at different events in which people have shared their stories, their ideas, their thoughts that have been uplifting, inspiring, have you know, lit a fire in the belly and you can feel that soul sort of telling you something in, from inside as to the fact that this life is very finite and you should go and live the one that feels most exciting and most authentic to you. But for a lot of people, we hear those messages and we're inspired for five minutes and then the busyness of life just sets in again and we go, well, maybe one day, but not right now. And and that's the scary thing, right, is like how many people go through the entirety of their life saying maybe one day, but not right now. And so I love yeah. that you had the foresight to, to take action. Yeah, I, I sometimes I look at it like this. I interviewed a person once and they had terminal cancer and they knew that they were going to die within two to three years. They just knew it was brain cancer and there was, there was no way around it. And we all deal with things in a certain way and your mind has a, um, uh, a certain mechanism that allows you to deal with things like this. Um, but this person said to me, I feel fortunate because I know that my time is limited. So in the last uh, year or so, I've had the best times of my life. I've told all the people that I love exactly what I think about them. I've gone and visited all my best friends. I've been to every birthday. I've uh, been to every christening. I've been the best friend, the best father, and the best person that I've ever been in this last year. And so in a way, I feel fortunate that, that, I've, that I've got this prognosis. And that's not to say you can't take that lesson and apply it a little to yourself because the average age for a person in Australia to live or a first world country is 85, I think, or 84 for men. So it's really 84 minus your age, that's really what you got left on this planet. And then if you're into snowboarding, water skiing, surfing or whatever, you might as well take 10 years off that because the old vehicle may not sort of be surviving that well by the time you get there. So we all actually have this countdown clock and that is a great way to look at life, that uh, it is a beautiful, majestic thing, but it's, uh, but it's, but it's short. You know, it's funny because I was reading through some of the posts and some of the work that you've done and something popped out to me on Instagram literally just this morning, a photo of Johnny Ruffo just after the news of his mm. passing. And you even wrote in that, even though he was fighting brain cancer, I just never believed it would get him. And so it's funny how we can even at some point have the realisation that we won't be here forever, but we can look to these extreme events and these incredible tragedies and still somewhat forget that we're all susceptible to death? 
yeah. you know, and I, I had a, a really unique experience at the beginning of this year, mate, where I sat down with two of my best mates who, you know, I'm, I'm so privileged to have in my life and they're great human beings and we often have very deep and very honest conversations after a run, swim and coffee on a Wednesday. Yeah. And I was just sitting there one day and I said to these guys, I said, mate, it would be so valuable for other young men to hear these conversations, the vulnerability, the honesty. I said, if you guys are ever open to it, we should sit down and record something together. Mm. And they, they are all about that and they love the idea. And so we started recording these episodes that we call Three Mates, so maybe a monthly or six weekly feature on the podcast. And the first conversation, we threw around some ideas for what we wanted to speak about. And it was particularly interesting to me, the topic that comes straight to my mind was death. And I just watched Chris Hemsworth's um, Disney series called Limitless. I don't know if you've seen mm. it or... Um, I haven't seen it, but I saw the promotions for it, yeah. Yeah, and there was particularly the last episode of it really stood out to me. They spent some time in some form of facility. I believe it was over in San Fran. It was run by um, a gentleman by the name of... Um, oh, I'm going to forget this guy's name, but he does some incredible work. It'll pop to, to the front of my mind. But he's a... I believe he's a quadruple amputee or close to it. Maybe um, he's lost one of his arms and both of his legs but in a, a tragic accident as a 19-year-old man at Stanford University as a swimmer. And this guy's incredible and he runs this facility that basically prepares people for the end of their life. And he's trying to remove the taboo nature of this topic of death from the conversation. And one of the things that really stood out to me was in this episode, they spoke about how the more comfortable we are speaking about the concept and recognising that it's a part of our lives, you know, the more we're gifted this opportunity to live in recognition of that and live more full lives. And so I wanted to chat to the boys about this and I just had an idea. I said, why don't we all sit down and write a two to three minute eulogy that we read to each other on the podcast? Mm. And I think that in writing that and recognising what we believe will be truly important to us at the end of our lives and the things that we want to be able to look back and reflect on will give us some insight as to maybe what we should be spending more time or focusing on right now. Mm. And so we'd done that. And it was, mate, it was particularly emotional for me. But what I found very interesting was we're three guys from three completely different backgrounds. We all have different heritage and ancestry. We've all had different upbringings. We've all come from different places in our life in which it's encouraged us to think differently about the idea of how we want to live our lives and our experiences have maybe, um, maybe given us different ideas about when that time could come. And having grown up with a you know, life-threatening illness, I found it interesting that whilst my mate Joey wrote about his death, which seemed to take place somewhere in his 50s because he's such a young, spirited soul and can't imagine himself as an old man, <laughs> My mate Foon spoke about his death at, you know, the age of somewhat like 90 with his grandchildren present and what became a, a celebration with a bit of Kanye West playing um, as his coffin was taken out of the funeral home. My <laughs> eulogy was written as though I died tomorrow. And I found that really interesting that our experience informed the way that we thought about death. And I found for me what ended up becoming quite a viral episode, which... I think reached something like the clip reached something like 600, 700,000 people online. 
I found myself lined up for different interviews across sort of national media companies in Australia talking about this topic that I'd never really put much thought into before. Mm. And for me, it become, I guess, it become a real lesson, a real key takeaway that, like you said, time waits for no one, death is upon us, live the life that you want to live. And so, mate, it's just, a, I think it's been the beautiful, most beautiful way to start this conversation because I've loved seeing that in you now. But the thing that I question is if I look back on the 28 years of career that you had, it looks like you had a fascinating career and you're highly passionate. Would that be right or wrong to admit, to, um, to assume? No, no, highly passionate. Yeah, highly passionate about my job, about telling stories, about uh, trying to make a difference where possible about um, bringing some of these struggles into people's lounge rooms and making it feel real and understandable to them. Yeah, I loved it and I still love it, um, but the media landscape has changed a lot at the moment. It's not exactly kind of what it was and that's changed things a little, made things a little more difficult in some respects. And um, I still have that passion for telling stories, but um, I think I'll just do less of it and it won't be a full-time job for me anymore. So was there a bit of a conflict for you when making the decision to walk away for a while? Because on one hand you're giving up something you're highly passionate about to pursue something that you think there will be more fulfilment from. Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, I, th yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, definitely more fulfilment in this kind of life and a realisation that um, it won't always be available to take this avenue we have a little girl uh, who's only three at the moment so that's a great time for her to travel and be with us and experience all these things out here playing with other boat kids and living a very different lifestyle but ultimately um, one that's been quite incredible for us to watch her kind of grow up and how social she's becoming mm and uh, just a, a time in life, I guess, you, you, you see these little chances and I, I think a lot of people might fantasise about it. The reality is it takes, it takes a bit of forethought and planning to do it. Um, I mean, first, unfortunately, is you've you got to think about the money situation and how you support yourself. So living on a boat has the advantage in that there's no rent, there's no mortgage if you own it. Um, you anchor for free, we get to, sun is, provides all our electricity and, and power just through solar panels and we have a desalinator on board that I installed for a couple of grand and that turns the salt water into fresh water so there's all your basic necessities that you got right there then with uh, hunting and spear fishing and, and going out and gathering um, you can get a lot of food that way and supplement um, your diet so then your food bills come right down so then you still need uh, money to look after the boat and for insurance for the boat and, and, and getting around it. You can't get apart from that. So that requires some kind of small income. We have uh, just a small apartment in Queensland. So we rent that out and the rent that we get from that is kind of keeping us afloat while we're out here. So you have to plan ahead to do something like that you've got a plan to rent out your apartment or have a, a, a means of income and you've got to disconnect from all the things that tie you down in society and that's a that's a really hard thing to do not least of all friends and family that always got birthdays and 
events coming up and then you've got work and your career and then you've got all the subscriptions and gym memberships and god knows what well you know you've got to you got to drop all of that so you need to have a passion for for what you're heading out for because you're going to need to really slim down the rest of your life to be able to do it so it's well, not mate, easy but uh but it's but it's a hell of a ride i have to say i'm going to pull you up on one thing you very nonchalantly said you know, hunting and foraging for your food. Mate, I, if I was out there on the boat, let me tell you, I wouldn't have lasted a week because my, my ability as a fisherman is absolutely horrendous and almost, it's actually laughable. I was gonna say almost, but it is laughable. Yeah. You know, is that, is that challenging? And at times, is there a level of frustration that comes from the simplicity that once was of, you know, walking up to the woolies, walking up to the fish market or the butcher? <laughs> and grabbing some food is is a little bit of a lost idea when out in the middle of the ocean yeah it is uh yeah there's no supermarkets out here there's uh, you can't order anything in fiji you can't order anything on amazon and you know, nothing arrives here you don't want to send anything by post we've tried and it just gets lost so uh, and uh, you know, finding boat parts and there's things that constantly break down that you need to repair you have to, um, you really have to cut some corners and make do with what you have a lot of the time, a lot of improvisation. Um, but I will say this, once you, once you get out here and there is no woolies around the corner and just recently we spent three months out in some outer islands in the Lao group of Fiji and they've only had boats out there since the late 90s. They kind of opened up those islands so they're pretty much untouched and there's no... There's no hotels, there's no ferries, there's no, there's no boats, there's no tourism, there's no nothing out there. There's just um, dirt floor villages mostly and subsistence kind of living with these, uh, you know, beautiful people that live out in this incredible place. It just looks like a scene out of a storybook, just beautiful, clear, turquoise water, as much fish as you, you can see when you stick your head under the water, coconuts falling off the trees and nothing but Pacific Ocean around you you're about three or four days sail you know to any mainland and it's amazing out there but you do run out of food you run out of supplies and and i know you said that you're not a great fisherman and i wasn't either but nothing sharpens the senses like the need to feed the family and it uh it, sometimes it comes down to well if i don't shoot a fish today then we don't have any protein we're just having bread and, and rice so you become pretty good at these things when you need to be Mate, there's no oat milk flat whites out at sea, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, I have to wonder, like, you know, one of the things that you mentioned before is like, you know, cutting of the gym memberships and that sort of thing. Mate, anyone who follows you online or has watched you do any store in your, in your life knows that, mate, you're a fit, handsome cat. I was talking <laughs> to my missus this morning, we're on a, a little stroll, getting some fresh air, and I said, you know, she asked me about the interview today and, and how I was feeling, you know, um, hence fighting the man flu to be here. And I said, I'm really excited for this one. And she said, I'm sure I know Denim. Like when I hear his name, I can almost put a face to it. And I said, I'll show you a picture. And she said, show me a picture of him, you know, when he was working. And she straight away recognised your face. And I said, but just a shout out quickly. Have a go at this fella. Look at the set of abs on him. Mate, he's a handsome cat. So fitness and, and health has obviously always been a part of your life. I know you're really into your surfing, but one of the, the things I really wanted to ask you is you spoke about this 
simple but quite natural lifestyle of you know foraging for your food you know just before we hit record you were talking about you know the morning forage which has become a part of almost every day's routine as of late you know out looking for mangoes and coconuts which sounds like a bloody dream mate the natural wee spa that's for sure and you know you're eating quite a natural healthy diet have you seen an improvement in your health whilst living the way that you have been um has it been an improvement um yes i would say it has been an improvement only because it's a very simple diet that we've got out here and it's free a lot of, of a lot of the preservatives and sauces and condiments and um, additives that you get in a lot of food that's quickly picked up on the street and fast food and microwave meals and all that kind of stuff that you do just to get by when when you're at work so most of the stuff we get here and um, we eat a lot of the food that we that we gather ourselves but otherwise we pick it up from the markets and the markets is all um, fresh I, I wouldn't say it's organic but but it's but you know it's never been frozen in the back uh, stores of Woolies and put out on the shelf you know two days before to thaw out just in time so I think um, we're all a little bit healthier for sure but this lifestyle is very is physically demanding sailing the boat is 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 quite a lot and if I'm not spearfishing or or out uh, sort of hunting and gathering, I do spend um, a lot of time surfing. When the surf is on, I'm in the water. Um, there's been a bit of foil boarding lately. I picked up a second-hand kit before I left, so I've kind of got into that. So, um, yeah, there's a, a lot of physical work that goes on, but our mornings, our morning routine is, is uh, exercise for my wife and I. Um, probably about 45 minutes or so and for me that's just uh, a lot of push-ups at the front of the boat really and I uh, might go for a swim and then our day kind of starts after that but um, in answer to your question I think the simplicity of this lifestyle lends itself to a health a healthy body and a healthier mind mm, such a good point speaking of the mind like what's some of the clarity that you've received in your time away from the hectic nature of you know for a job that you for you wasn't nine to five I'm sure it was chaotic and and often very wild and unpredictable especially being an on the ground reporter at many times you know what's the clarity you've received from you know somewhat waking up and and living a very natural day-to-day life in touch with nature in touch with the people that you love it's it's almost a very prehistoric way of living yeah, it is. It's a regression in a way, really. It's a regression that's kind of taken me forwards in a weird kind of way. Uh, I sleep a lot better. There's a lot less stress. Um, and uh, I feel a lot less uh, pressure kind of mentally. And uh, I look, to be fair, in my 29 years as a TV journalist, I prided myself on being able to um, absorb a lot of pressure and thrive under it and a lot of the time I did enjoy that so it's not that uh, I was trying to live a stress-free life it was almost the opposite the fact that you're doing live crosses in a huge event or a massive shooting in the US or you're covering presidential elections or or any kind of major event and you're juggling multiple stories and the pressure of getting talent and keeping them 
um, for the network and delivering on time, meeting deadlines on multiple stories across multiple platforms for large organisations. I enjoyed all of that. I'd, I'd, I'd be lying to myself if, if I said anything otherwise. Um, but I think in the evolution of, of anybody's, anybody's life, I came uh, slowly a around the circle, I guess, to the realization that um, you know perhaps I didn't need that anymore. And focus in my life changed with a with a wife and and a three year old. And so, you know, I definitely sleep better than I've ever slept. And um, I need to I don't need to work as hard to stay fit and healthy. It's interesting that you know. For me, what seems to be one of the key themes between the life that you had lived for 28 years and the life that you're living now is this theme of adventure, which says to me that you're, you're hardwired for seeking new challenge, seeking opportunities to grow, to learn from, to be in new environments. As a dad now, like a father is something that I want to be in the next couple of years. My partner and I talk about it a lot, and I always think about what from my life now will change when I become a dad? Because children are, I think, often more aware than we think they are of how they take in what they see, hear, feel from their surrounds. And so has there been a huge fire in the belly to live a life that you think will set your daughter up for success, for fulfilment? Um. Yeah, well, it depends what you determine as success. Uh, I mean, I would determine life success as somebody who's happy, healthy, and happy, healthy, mentally stable, and and enjoying the life they're leading. And it's difficult when it comes with kids because they don't know anything else in their younger years. So, I mean, she's three years old. She's never lived in a house. She we went from the hospital where she was born straight to the boat. She's always lived on this boat and she doesn't know anything different. She thinks that all kids lives on boats. She, she sometimes will ask other kids on land where their boat is. <laughs> <laughs> she, so she doesn't know anything different, but what we see in a lot of the kids that live on the boats here, and the only reason we made, um, we were happy to make this decision to, to, to kind of do this for uh, an unknown number of years is that uh, when my wife and I had our monohull, our first boat, we'd, we'd, I took six months off work and we sailed out to Lord Howe, New Caledonia and Vanuatu. And uh, we had in the back of our minds that we'd probably sail out to these islands and do this as a couple and then we'd come back and go back to work and live life on land and have a kid and have a regular life. But what we saw was so many boats out here with tiny kids, two years old, three years old, heaps with five, between the ages of five and eight, five and nine. And all these kids, all these sun-bleached hair, brown skin, you know, dreadlocked little ragamuffins charging <laughs> around in dinghies and surfing and, you know, six-year-olds with spear guns and... They'd come up to your boat and ask you, where'd you come from? What was your passage time? What was the fastest speed you did? You know, and you're talking to a six-year-old who's just paddled over on a paddleboard asking you how your passage was. They're so socially outgoing because you come into an anchorage, they never know when they're going to see those kids again. So they make friends really fast and they make friends with everybody because they're the only people that are around. So 
we saw these kids that were really outgoing and uh, their parents that seemed to be living this very alternative lifestyle with kids. And my wife and I thought, well, maybe there's no reason to stop this sailing dream of ours. Why don't we, why don't we do it even after we have her? And, and we have, and it's been one of the main concerns of my family that, um, that, that she's gonna miss out on social time, but she's been more social over here in Fiji than she ever was back home. Kids come and pick her up all the time. Hey, can we take Kai? We're gonna go to the, we're gonna go try and find the natural pools. We're gonna go climb coconut trees. We're gonna go play in the sand or do this or that. They'll come pick her up and, you know, she's at three years old. Off she goes with a little life jacket on, and we'll see her in a, in a few hours later. It's it, it's amazing. It, it's it's very different. The, the boat kids tend to be, they tend to grow up a little faster, I think, but they have a beautiful, carefree nature about them because. Um, you know, they're out in nature really absorbing all of it. It's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, even in hearing that now, it, it brings a smile to my face because I think what a beautiful way to grow up and what an amazing experience, regardless of how long you live this life. I believe this will be a very formative time for your daughter in which she learns to love people from all cultures and from all walks of life. She has a sense of adventure, um, a detachment from needing the things that I guess um, the things that stop us from e feeling insecure because we're comparing ourselves to society it's just a very natural and amazing way of growing up and learning some of life's really important lessons early it makes me think I wonder how different or similar in some ways that was to your time growing up like where, where were you born what was early life like for you uh, so early life for me was on uh, in Sydney on the northern beaches, growing up at Mona Vale, so Mona Vale Primary, a lot of time at the beach, a lot of time surfing. So I guess it's still full of a lot of the pursuits that I had when I was a kid and I felt that that lifestyle, growing up on the beaches, spending your time on the beach and in the surf and coming home just exhausted and sunburned and crashing out in bed was much better than going down to McDonald's or the local park and um, you know, getting into some of the trouble that a lot of the kids do in the outer suburbs. We just didn't have any of that on the beaches because we are just too much time spent um, on the beach and in the surf and out mm. in the sun enjoying the outdoors. So I think regardless, her life would have always been that. It would have been on the beaches, but it would have... Uh, been full of a lot of other things as well which is not to say it would have been a bad childhood at all um, she would have been loved and cared for and um, I'm sure it would have been fine um, but uh, this little unique experience that she's on at the moment you know, I think it's going to be quite incredible for her Oh mate I have no doubt at all and like for me it's interesting that I think our childhood hugely especially if we have a positive experience it hugely informs the kind of human being that we are and I find that a lot of people you know because of the way that we live at the moment and you know we're constantly in comparison because of social media and the access we have to people's lives in which we'd probably never see or experience had we not had these devices and there is plenty of good with them because we get to hear people's stories and connect with people from unique walks of life but the negative is we do tend to compare and think with a bit of a lack mindset I wonder that like for a lot of people, they get a little bit lost 
from who they actually are in that journey of seeking and comparing and trying to acquire things that they think will you know mask or maybe kill some of the insecurities that they have they often don't but i wonder for you was there ever a period where that innate desire to be in nature to be living you know quite a natural unique experience you know through your time and work and and being busy and you know having some of that stress did you ever feel like you lost a little bit of touch with who you are um no i don't think i ever lost touch with who i am but it 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 does present a lot more noise out there for you to try and cut through to understand who you are and what you're trying to achieve with all of the pressure that you ha now have from social media and different platforms. And we have, I went and did uh, a story once on this on um, screen addiction and it was with a clinician in New York and uh, he'd run a very famous uh, detox clinic for a long time for class A drugs. And uh, what he would do when he's treating the patients, the patients is he would scan their brains. And there's a certain part of the brain, the amygdala, that really lights up when um, people are consuming class A drugs. And it's that area of the brain that gets excited that, that um, delivers this kind of feel-good hormone. And after a while with screens and tablets starting to become an issue parents were coming to him saying i've got this problem with my teenager or with my young child can i bring them into your clinic is there anything you can do to help so he started a whole new um, treatment facility just for screen addiction which was basically a slow detox and followed by a lot of you know stuff out out in nature you know shock and surprise but the interesting thing is and the reason that i did the story was he started scanning the brains of uh, these kids with their parents' permission, of course, um, just to give a baseline so he could see how their tracking um, was going with the treatment he was giving. And what he found was the parts of the brain that were lighting up in these kids were the exact same parts of the brain that were lighting up with these Class A drug users, heroin, opium, cocaine. The same part of the brain was lighting up this giant bright spot and as it was in the kids, and that's what a lot of this stuff on devices does. And it's not to say it doesn't have a, a place in society, and it does. And we're kind of at a, a, um, a strange juxtaposition here because we have social media accounts, my wife and I, um, and we have a, a YouTube channel, a Sailing uh, Rio is the name of it, a YouTube channel called Sailing Rio because we kind of want people to know that this lifestyle is, is possible. There's a lot of anxiety out there about bills and mortgage and um, making ends meet. And uh, it's not to say that sailing the world is easy, but uh, it's an alternative lifestyle that's pretty wholesome and healthy. So we wanted to show people that. So, you know, we have a, a YouTube channel and we have all this social media, but at the same time, you can see the damage that's being done by devices and social media. So it's a real um, catch-22. But with our little girl, we're, we're, we're very careful with, with anything to do with screen time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's the intention that you have when you engage with these apps and these devices that if you can do it from a place of seeking information, 
seeking things that are going to have a positive impact on you and obviously to do that you have to wade through some of the shit um you know you're going to have much better experience on them and also not you know which i can be guilty of spending so much of your time on them but i'd be interested in meeting this clinician who had these studies and took this um this time to research this Mm. i wonder what parts of the brain he identified lighting up when he took those kids out into nature or was it similar parts of the brain that also have an addictive nature but a positive addiction? Mm, that's a good question, Brad. That's a really good question. In fact, that's one that I didn't ask him. But, um, yeah, it'd be fascinating to know that. I don't know if he ever did that. But uh, he, what uh, his studies showed was that uh, switching off the, the screen time or at least minimising it and getting the kids out in the sunshine and bushwalks and out in nature um, reduced this area of the, bl- of the brain. So I would, uh, I would hazard a guess that it probably quietened that part down and, and gave a more kind of mellow, um, positive feeling in return. But, but the specific answer to your question, I don't know. Well, I want to you know, talk about one thing that you mentioned to me this morning, which was the fact that it's a little bit windy and it's, I think you said, 20 knots out there, the wind. And I think that speaks to the fact that the sea is not always calm. And when you live on the sea, you are susceptible to those conditions on a daily basis. Sometimes on an hourly basis, I'm sure, when things can change. Have there been any scary times out there? Yeah, there's been plenty. There's been plenty. In fact, um, only... Must have only been three weeks or four weeks ago now. um, A cyclone came through Fiji. It was Cyclone Mal. It was a Category 3 cyclone, so that's nothing to be trifled with. That's wind speeds of around the 150, 170 kilometre an hour mark. Um, I took the boat up uh, into mangroves with 43 other boats that um, included some people that were, that were fairly concerned about their vessels. So it was, it was a pretty hectic time. Um, everybody rushing for this mangrove creek and we drove the boats up as far as we could until we're basically sitting on the mud and stretched out all these nylon lines like a spider web so each boat was 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 tied on anchors fore and aft and and three lines each side bow stern and amidships out into the mangroves so you wade out into the mud and tie all your lines onto the mangroves and and come back in and then once uh, all that was done, you you sit there and you wait. And when the cyclone rolled in, it was um, it was a Category Three, and it hit the coast. It caused a lot of damage. Um, but where we were in the mangroves, the sound above was was uh, like nothing I'd ever heard before. Kind of like uh, three or four jumbo jets circling low over the top of the mast, just this roaring sound. But down on the deck, because the mangroves were are higher than the coach roof or higher than the superstructure of the deck, the only thing that sticks above the mangroves is the mast. And the top of the mast is recording some heavy wind speeds, but down on the deck it was, it was relatively gentle, like 15, 15 20 knots or so. Um, certainly nothing like a cyclone speed. So every boat came through unscathed. And um, everybody came out, you know, breathing a huge sigh of relief. But, <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, there was that cyclone and we've had a few big storms at sea and and that's even more frightening because you you really are just a tiny little cork in the middle of a huge ocean and, and that ocean can get pretty frightening sometimes. Bloody oath, I can imagine you've seen some creatures too that remind you you're not the only person out there. <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll you, be amazed what uh, comes up on the back of the line when you're out in the middle of that ocean. But it's... <laughs> You know, when you think about crossing an ocean, you think uh, it's between here and there is just a deep, you know, giant trench, but it's actually underneath that water there, there's peaks and troughs and valleys and and that all creates different swirling currents and um, fish life and all sorts of stuff. It's it's a vibrant world out there. It's probably the, probably the last frontier, really. We know more about outer space than what we do, that, than what we know about what's at the bottom of the ocean. And... When you're out in the middle of a crossing in the middle of the Pacific, oh, there's times that you're uh, you're closer to the astronauts on the space station than you are to other people on land. That's how far away you are from help and how far you're away from people on a tiny little fiberglass boat. So you need to be completely self-reliant. You're operating on not much sleep and you're harnessing just the, the power of the wind to to cross you know huge oceans and go to other continents it's it's quite an incredible thing yeah fair to say it's not as safe and sturdy as the cruise ship that i've been on mate <laughs> I, I want to ask maybe what's been the most surreal experience out there for you and the family something that's made you really pinch yourself and and go is this the life we're living um i uh, that category would probably be the Lao group i think in fiji there were some moments down there where you come into one of these um, lagoons and it's uh, just out in the middle of the ocean. You'll go through a narrow reef pass, which is always nail-biting in itself because it's usually only maybe uh, four or five metres on each side of the boat. And to get through a reef pass, some of them are really narrow and there's jagged reef sticking out the side. And you only need to slide sideways into that reef and it'll just tear a hole in the boat and you probably lost everything that you've got and you're in the middle of nowhere. But once you get inside these narrow reef passes, there's these beautiful lagoons, just white sand underneath, and it's only three or four metres deep. These tiny little islands and little outcrops everywhere, sometimes with little running streams that come off uh, little hills. Um, just abundant fish life everywhere you look, and on a sunny day where everything is clear and it's uh, it's it, it's a magical place. It really is. It's it's certainly one of those times to sit sit back and take a deep breath and soak in your surroundings, which you don't always do, but we need to do more often. Mate, uh, I don't doubt it at all. I've got some questions I want to ask you, which are six relatively consistent questions I ask on the pod. They're relatively rapid fire in response. Sometimes they're not so rapid fire because I have. I guess a bit of a habit to jump in and get excited about an answer, so we'll see how we go. Right, yeah. So is there a personal challenge that you wish you'd address earlier in your life? Personal challenge. Personal challenge that I wish I'd addressed. Uh, yes personal challenge I wish I had addressed um, probably probably the overall 
uh, need to succeed in my chosen career, no matter what the cost. Mm. Mate, I feel that. I think a lot of people could speak to that. For you, was it was it something that kept you pushing even when it felt like it wasn't fulfilling? Is that is that what it kind of manifested as? I think it it really. I just had a uh, just a, a burning desire to to really achieve some lofty goals in my career and ultimately I did achieve those so perhaps I would never have got there without uh, without that drive but it came at a cost to friends and family and 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 probably a lot of relationships back in in those early days it was very single-minded perhaps a little selfish yeah I think we can all speak to at least one time in our life we've been a little bit like that mate my second question which you've mentioned at some point in the podcast already but would love the refresher is how do you define success personally I would define success now probably a little different uh, to what I would have said but now I would say uh, someone who's living a happy fulfilling life that's not negatively impacting anybody else uh, who is mentally stable, mentally and physically um, fit to their best ability. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a lot uh, more simple than, than what it used to be. I think I used to make it way too complicated. Mate, I love that. Sometimes simple is the most profound way to be. Beautifully answered. My third question for you is, what is the greatest lesson that failure has afforded you? Well, failure is an interesting thing. Um, if you're not failing, you're not really trying. And if you're only succeeding all the time, then you're really only taking small steps. It's really when you go for those big audacious leaps that you fail. And sometimes your best lessons are learnt in your failures. Uh, and I've had plenty of those. And I'm not one of those people that would say I don't regret anything because everything is uh, something that's learned. There's certainly some regrets. I think everyone would have them if they were honest with themselves. Um, but failure is an Im important part of life. Mate, I could not agree with you more. I think that is a, a very similar way to which I look at it. And I agree, we all have some regrets. You know, it's part of being a human being. Mate, the fourth question that I wanted to ask you is if you were writing a book about your life, let's call it the autobiography of Denham Hitchcock. What chapter of that book in particular changed the direction of your life and what would you call that chapter? I would call that chapter uh, meeting my wife. It's probably been the greatest change. I think it's roughly... Uh, probably the largest sidestep or change in direction I've had is uh, has been since meeting her. I met her in the surf um, while paddling for a wave in DY actually uh, on Sydney's northern beaches and uh, she was surfing on a little 7-1 mini mal that she has and a little Brazilian bikini. She's kind of hard to miss <laughs> and uh, she was surfing with another guy at the time and I thought, well, hopefully that's not the boyfriend. They didn't seem like they were sitting very close together, so I waited for him to catch a wave, and I paddled over. And um, 
and the rest uh, really kind of wrote itself. Um, we uh, bonded very quickly, moved in very quickly, and we were married within two years. And um, yeah, I couldn't hope for a better life partner. And everything that I'm doing now is only because uh, we both share the same goals and dreams. And she's the most loveliest, most honest, um, caring person that I know. And um, probably this uh, lifestyle and our little girl is, is really all due to her. Mate, I, I love that. And anyone who knows me knows that I love a good love story. So mate, I appreciate <laughs> that that was, that was your chapter. Mate, the fifth question I want to ask you, and I think this is quite an interesting question because you've alluded to maybe something along these lines at one point, but I'll be interested to hear what you define as the one thing. But what's something that you used to value that you no longer do? Hmm. Well, the, probably the biggest thing that I've let go of is some kind of misguided or perhaps egotistical need to leave some kind of legacy or um, a mark behind and certainly when it came to my career um, I was very much focused on being uh, the best journalist and that I could be and I think that's healthy for anyone in their chosen career to try and reach the reach the top of their goal but I was I, I was probably overly concerned with the kind of material that I might leave behind that people might look back on one day and I, I realised after a little while that uh, on the large scale of things it doesn't really matter. What matters more is what you think about the work that you've done and that you've carried out and I think after watching some of the, the big name journalists that I really looked up to when I was a young kind of cadet in the newsrooms and at the end of their careers and some of them spanned 40, 50, 60 years after a month those guys were pretty much forgotten <laughs> people moved on people only looked forwards and uh, so if you're asking me the, the thing that I've let go of most it's, it, it's probably that a realisation that um, what you're doing matters more for yourself other than what other people are going to think of you in, in, in later years Mate, it's funny you say this. I listened to Rick Rubin in an interview this morning just while I was mm. pottering around the house and he said something like, I never create with the audience in mind. I mm. always create from a place of, do I like this? And it just so happens to be that a lot of the time when something's very authentic and it means something to you, it means something to other people too. And I think that's a mm. bloody great way of looking at it and something we, we all often forget and get a little out of touch with, and myself included there. Mate, the last question, the final thing that I want to wrap up on is, the name of this podcast is a lot to talk about, and that's because we often discuss very diverse things and, and share a very diverse human story on the pod. But if there's one thing that you want to leave the audience with and encourage them to engage in a conversation and communicate around this thought or this idea that you leave them within their circles and communities, what would it be? Well, 
It's tricky here because I don't want to be all, you only live once, YOLO, go out, go crazy, you know, put your house up for sale and, and go and climb Mount Everest. It's, it's not a message like that, but it's something along those lines. You, you know what inspires you, you know what drives your passions. That thing that you can't stop thinking about, the thing that sits in your stomach that churns away whenever you, whenever you come across it when you think about something that you want to achieve or a success that you have, when it's real, when it really matters to you, you know because it's a visceral feeling and that's the thing that you sit up late till 11 or midnight doing and you're happy to do it because you just want to see it succeed. I think that that's an important thing to identify and uh, when you identify what that thing is, perhaps don't drop everything to go ahead and do it, but plan for it, plan for it, think methodically about the steps it's going to take for you to reach that goal and then implement it execute it so for us or for me for coming out to live this lifestyle on a boat we had a three-year plan and that included uh, selling an apartment buying a cheaper apartment reducing a mortgage and then a whole lot of stuff with work and friends and family and and we had a, it was about a seven point plan from memory and we had to execute all of those steps to, uh, to get here. So we didn't just drop everything and go and buy a boat. Um, we had to know how to sail the boat. We had to have the right boat. That was, you know, that's a whole nother subject in itself. But then there was a whole lot of material with life and income and money that had to be sorted out as well and careers and all of that had to be done in the right way. Um, so it took time, but it was possible to do it. So I guess um, a short answer, and you, you did say at the start of these questions that I meant to be rapid fire. So <laughs> I haven't quite delivered that for you, but it, it, if it was to be a short answer, it would be identify your passion and, and plan for it and execute it because uh, no one else is going to do it for you. Mate, let me tell you, they were as rapid as they needed to be. Absolutely wonderful <laughs> words. <laughs> and mate, it's it's been a privilege for me to to chat to you about you know you living this very purpose, passion fueled life now. And mate, I'm excited to continue watching it both on YouTube and through your Instagram, which everyone um, can get at the show notes to be connected to those links. But mate, hopefully next time we're chatting, who knows? It may very well be two microphones and a camera on the the end of a catamaran. So mate, it's a it's been a pleasure to chat. Thanks for your time. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Brad. Thank you very much for the interview. And uh, if you ever want to do the interview in person on uh, Rio, you're, you're more than welcome to come. Mate, that sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it, and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I wanna pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history and storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together 
and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.